Okay, I have questions for you. Do you want to find out exactly how to set your company up for seeking investment? Or how can you make yourself very attractive to investors? Or what not to do when trying to grow and achieve scale financially? Then you're in the right place. This is Sastry in the Making. I'm your host, Matt Wallach, and I am thrilled to be joined today by my special guest, SAS Finance and Investment Whiz, Katie Bronenkant. Katie, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. I am really excited to talk to you because this is something that is very, very difficult to understand and something that is hard for me to understand. And so I am so looking forward to learning about uh, what you can offer to me and, and our listeners. But before we get into that, let me just explain to people a little bit of who you are. Uh, so Katie is an expert at SaaS finance planning and analytics, and she's the founder of SaaS Simple Finance. It's a company that helps early stage SaaS companies leverage their own financial data to grow their business and raise money from VCs. You know, her efforts have helped companies raise over $250 million. That's awesome, Katie. Very <laughs> cool stuff. And she was the first employee at Namely as well. And over there as the first employee, she wore a ton of hats and helped them raise several rounds totaling $70 million. So she knows her stuff when it comes to seeking investment, getting money in the door, and having that oxygen to be able to fuel your company for growth. So Katie, thank you once again for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for that intro. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, tell me what you're doing lately with SaaS Simple Finance. I'm interested to hear about it. Yeah. So um, like you mentioned, I had worked at Namely, which is a, an HR tech company. And I left Namely about five years ago, and I went out on my own to work as an interim VP of finance for seed and series A stage companies. So I've been doing that for the past five years, and that's how I've gotten up to uh, helping companies raise over $200 million from the 70. And I'm just starting to work with more founders who maybe don't have the budget to work with have a, an interim VP of finance, but someone who needs um, finance coaching to really help them leverage their data and grow their business, as well as if they want to do funding, that they, they are in the right spot. You know, I'm sure a lot of people need finance coaching. I'm sure there's so many things that people are just unaware of. And I've been a founder myself multiple times. And you know, I know that there were certainly some mistakes that I made, but what are some of these early mistakes that companies are making that really get themselves in trouble financially? Yeah, so I think um, I think what we have to first do is talk about what finance is. So I think there's a lot of confusion, like, is it tax? Is it, uh, you know, compliance with states? Is it accounting? Is it bookkeeping? So finance is related to all of those areas, but really what it's doing in its simplest form is seeing what happened in the past, so analyzing it, and then trying to predict uh, what's going to happen in the future based on a set of assumptions that we make. So um, I think I think what the uh, some of the biggest problems are doing nothing, right? Or doing nothing, doing it inconsistently. So um, you know, not doing a financial plan or doing one every quarter, every six months, or when an investor asks for one. The problem with that is, is you don't really know what's happening and you can't drive your ship forward if you don't know where you are or where you want to go. 
That is so true. And I know I've been guilty of that. So, so how soon should people start to be doing this in their company's growth cycle? So you should definitely try to do something on your own. As soon as you have the idea for your company, just try to do back of the envelope numbers. Like, does this make sense? If I, you know, how many customers would I need to get at that price point? And how much would it cost me just to serve those customers? Just starting with that. Yeah, that sounds definitely like you need to do that. And then how often should you do it once you get things rolling and you start getting customers coming in, you start having things happen? So you should really do it at least monthly. If, if you have a business that's kind of B2C where you have deals or you know customers signing on every day, you might even want to do it daily. But it, it, it could become very onerous doing that um, if you're guess. a small company. <laughs> Yes, for sure. So how did you develop this skill and this passion for finance? Yeah, so actually, um, before working at Namely, I had never really worked in finance. I had a bit of a, you know, different type of background. I worked in some accounting, I did some marketing, and I, I did an MBA. And when I came back, I met up with the, with the founder of, um, of Namely, and he was just starting on the angel round of funding. And I just got in from, you know, got in from the start and I started working on that. That was my first project and it was really exciting. And we raised a lot of money over the four years that I was there. So I ended up having to really get everything in order. You know, this was um, like 2011, 2012, and there wasn't all this information on the internet and we were meeting with top SaaS VCs. So the numbers had to be in order and the assumptions had to be bulletproof. Yeah, I would say so if you're meeting with those big VCs, but it all worked out. So kudos to you for making it happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, just part of the effort, right? So if you have a really great product and great sales, but you have a crappy financial plan, well, then that's not going to work. But you, so you need to have, you need to have all of the parts. Yeah, and I think it's kind of funny, and, and uh, I've been a part of the startup game a long time. You you just get done what needs to get done. Oh, we need to have a financial plan? Great, I'll learn that. Let's go figure it out. <laughs> so uh, that's funny that you had the same experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was exciting. So, so you work with a lot of startups and early stage companies. What intrigues you about working with those types of companies? So what I think I like about working with early stage companies the most is they have this get it done attitude, just like you just said, and everything moves really fast. You know, I've watched companies grow from PowerPoint slides to hundreds of customers and hundreds of employees. It's just, it feels like overnight, although during, while you're actually living through it, it feels like an eternity. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So That's that funny. I think it's really fun. Yeah, I've felt the same way as well. It's kind of uh, uh, when you're there, it feels like a long time, but then you kind of look back, oh, this year we added 73 people. And it's just uh, pretty amazing once you start to achieve that scale that you start to see some big growth happen. For sure. Yeah, I bet you saw that at Namely too. Oh, yeah. I, I was the first employee and I left when they had almost 200 employees and hundreds of customers. And when I started, we we only had PowerPoint slides. So it, it was really a lot. <laughs> that is so funny. So uh, I wanted to ask you, if you're a startup 
and you're getting going and you're starting to think, hey, I bet we could use some money and get some cash in the door, but I'm not sure. You know, how does a startup know if getting investment is right for them? Yeah, so I think that there's really two sides to it. So first is, is that the type of company that the founders want to build? And when I say type of company, investors invest in companies, or at least institutional investors invest in companies that have potential to grow really big, $100 million companies. So what they want to do is they invest money to make the company grow much faster than you would do it if you were bootstrapped, if you had to do it on your own, your own earnings, right? Mm -hmm. So do you want to build a company that grows really, really fast? There are a lot of growing pains and it's not really for everyone. You also have people on your board, like your investors are on your board. And not only do they have a, a piece of the pie, but they also have a say in how you're doing things. So I think that's the first thing that founders should ask themselves and see like, is this right for me? The other part is, is your company a company that should be invested in by investors? Because maybe your business type or your industry actually doesn't make sense because it will never be a hundred million dollar company, no matter mm. you know, how many customers you could get, it's just not the right fit. Sure, that makes sense. So how would a company set themselves up to be very attractive to investors? So, right, the first part I was telling you is it has to be a really big opportunity. I think we have to remember that investors are really numbers people, right? So they may be really interested in your industry, they might like your tech, they might like your team. But at the end of the day, they're working for their investors who are the limited partners, and they need to have the potential of getting a 10x return on their money. So you need to put together a plan that shows some sort of path to get there that is more or less reasonable, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. But how does somebody do that? I mean, if usually wearing a ton of hats, you know that you've been in a startup and we've got a lot going on. How does somebody take the time? How do they know to, to, to go off and, and make that happen and put that plan together? Yeah, well, I'll, I'm telling you right now, this is what you have to do. So that's how you know you, you need this plan. When you, when you meet with investors, they're gonna say, send me your financial model or send me your plan. And they wanna know what's your plan to building a large company. And what I mean by plan is what's your revenue plan? How are you going to earn that type of revenue? What type of resources do you need to support that? So what does it cost you to support that revenue? And then what are the other resources like um, engineering and development and sales and marketing? How are you gonna get those customers? So you really need to think through all of those areas and see what that plan looks like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure you've worked with several startups that have been very successful in achieving this investment. Obviously, you've helped raise over $250 million. So what are some similarities? What are some of the traits that you've seen with some of the best ones? Uh, what have they done that's kind of a like that really helped them gain that success? So what's really interesting is I've been doing this for the past 10 years, and I've seen this evolve a bit over time. So Earlier, you know, in the beginning of the 2010s, 
investors were very interested in customer acquisition costs, which is how much are you spending on sales and marketing to get a customer? And they wanted to see really good sales efficiency, meaning you're not spending more than it costs, more on sales and marketing than you're receiving from the customer, right? Sure. But as time is, is going by, you can see that there's actually a trend where investors are more interested, Not they're still interested in good customer acquisition costs, but now they're getting more interested in profitability. So they want to know what kind of gross margins do you have? Meaning how much does it cost you out of all of the revenue that you've earned to support that revenue? Mm-hmm. And, and they're looking for more for profitability um, and they're really digging into the details here now. Yeah, I, I would say so. So, you know, you just mentioned CAC as one. I've always thought CAC was certainly one you want to look at, your LTV to CAC ratio. So what are some of the key metrics that you like to point out and look for in, in companies when they're getting going? So definitely customer acquisition cost is really important. I also like to analyze churn. Even though I work with pretty early stage companies, a lot of times they don't have very much churn, but it is important to measure churn as well as understand the churn reasons so that you can fix those as soon as possible, as quickly as possible. And then the gross margin is is also, it's, it's definitely in the top three. It's, it's very important now. Are, are there any metrics that, are are very like benchmarks i should say that are very standard across industries and then are there others that are very specific like it should be here in this industry it should be here in this industry do you see some of those differences or similarities so for enterprise SaaS, they want to have a customer acquisition cost payback of less than a year so that means right if if it costs if you get um, one year is $12,000 and it costs you $6,000 to get that customer, that's good. If it costs you $13,000, that's bad, right? It has to cost less than, than the year. So that's, that's pretty standard. And what is not standard is going to be churn among different industries. There are some types of companies that just work with high churn uh, industries, for example, very small businesses have high churn because they go out of business, they change, they decide to do something else, and uh, it, it's a little bit harder. Yeah, that's that's. I, I'm pleased to hear you say these things, Katie, because uh, I teach a master class. As a lot of people know, where startups go through the master class to learn all about sales, and we do talk about your your customer acquisition cost, your CAC. And how it must be in the you know your CAC payback period must be less than twelve months. So that's awesome. You heard it here first, folks, from the expert. She said it just like I said it. You can believe me now. Uh, so that's good to hear. But uh, very interesting to to hear about different metrics. I thought I have always found that very fascinating. I don't think startups put enough emphasis on metrics from the early days. They just kind of get going and just start pushing, and they're doing everything they can, which is commendable. But yeah. I don't think they take a step back enough to look at, hey, are we pushing in the right direction? Are things working out the way they should be? Yeah, yeah, it's really important. So not only for investors, but it, just like you're saying, are we pushing in the right direction that we should be? Because if you don't look at the numbers, you might not realize that you're not. You're not doing what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, question. So you focus on finance. I've always been on kind of on the sales side. 
How do you see those two departments within a company interacting and how should they be supporting each other? Yeah, so in my experience, working with sales is like one of the most important things that you can do. Any company that I've worked at, I always try to get a monthly meeting with the head of sales to get um, the pipeline projections because finance wants to know how much we might have coming through the pipeline because maybe we need to hire more customer service people. Maybe we need to hire, maybe we need to hire more salespeople. Maybe we need more SDRs, which are cold callers, right? So it really helps you plan the whole, the whole business. And if, if sales and finance don't work together, sales might not have anyone to pass off their, their new customers to, right? So it, it just uh, doesn't help. Yeah, and I would agree. I think, uh, from my experience, it's really good for the head of sales and the head of finance to work really closely together uh, because finance obviously has their ideas of where the company should be going and sales really is, is integral into making that happen. And, you know, even just personally, when I've been able to have good relationships with the, the head of finance, I feel like when we're in alignment, we really can get both of our goals accomplished. We can really achieve new heights together and start to see uh, uh, the whole company kind of pushing together in the same direction. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've always felt it very important for the head of sales to be really in alignment with that head of finance. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is awesome, Katie. Is there anything else that uh, startups should know about uh, what they should be doing or how you can help them? Yeah, I mean, I think that the first start is, step is just start doing something. It doesn't matter if you don't know accounting or finance, just use, you know, your common sense to try to figure it out, right? Just do the best that you can. And that's significantly better than doing nothing. And um, yeah, if you want to learn more about me or what I can do, you could just find me on LinkedIn. And I post there sometimes and I'm pretty active. That's awesome, Katie. So I will put all of that in the show notes for everybody listening. Uh, you'll be able to find Katie through that link on LinkedIn. But again, we've been talking with Katie Bronenkant from Simple SaaS Finance. So Katie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Absolutely. For everybody else, take care. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.